0: This was a series of sermons preached by aaron hale at riverside bible camp in the summer of 2023 the theme verse for the week was from ephesians 2 8 and 9 which says for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's great to be with you once again this morning. It is uh, hard to believe that we're already into Wednesday, and I hope you are, well, actually I know, I know you are, because I'm listening to you guys and your questions, and you're starting to to put pieces together as far as this trek through Genesis that we've been on, and how this actually relates to us today, and um, I want to talk a little bit more about the idea of covenant, because there are several very important covenants in the scriptures that help us to understand Christ, and so I want to take a little bit of time to look at a few of those, and uh, and I know we're winding, well, getting close to, uh, you know, less chapels left than, than we have behind us, so can anyone give me the uh, definition of a covenant? Oh, sorry. Is it between God and people? Okay, yeah. Promise between God and people or two or more people. So there are uh, I I this one. Good job. So um, are there are many different types of covenants. Can you think of any covenants that we have agreements between two or more people um, today? Yeah, Three. Marriage, exactly, yeah, exactly. So marriage is a covenant. Uh, You stand before your friends and family and before God, and you exchange vows of promise, and you enter into this covenant, covenant of marriage, which we saw is already established in Genesis as God presents the woman to the man. They are brought together in this holy covenant we call marriage, which God himself has instituted. Any other um, ideas where you think it's a type of covenant, where you agree to something, uh, you enter into a promise with someone? Yeah? The law. The law. So in what sense the law? Because since you can live here, you have to obey oh, OK, so as a citizen of a country, you are bound, in a sense, to the laws of the land. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I was thinking also of actually um, maybe uh, you borrow money from the bank. Like, Actually, if you have a credit card, it's actually a form of a covenant you have to sign that if you don't pay it back at the end of the month, then guess what? They're going to charge you exorbitant amounts of interest. And this is a type of a covenant. It's a type of agreement. It's a bond. Um, There's business relationships. Many different types of covenants. And we've looked at this a little bit. And as I said, God always relates to humanity in the context of a covenant. So There are different types of covenants in the Bible. We may look at covenants of works, which we saw in Adam where he was required to obey God and the blessing if he obeyed was life. If he disobeyed the consequence, the curse was death. And so there are those types of covenants where where one party must obey and keep their side of the bargain. There are other types of covenants where we would call them covenants of grace, where God actually does all of the work, all of the promise keeping himself and we, we are the recipients of it, and so um, we won't spend a lot of time. But there there is a question in the book: um, What is the covenant of grace? Uh, and this is something we're going to look at a bit more in days to come as well. Does anyone know the any answer to the covenant of grace? Book in here. The agreement God made with His elect people to save them from their sins. Okay, thank you. Thank you, to get a million dollars. Oh, you want this with a million dollars? Oh yeah, but oh, why not another million? Okay, so we have a covenant of grace established. So as we looked at Genesis um, three and we, we saw this terrible turn of events as man fell into sin, fell into rebellion against God, we determined that we are actually all part of this because we've inherited this original sinful nature called original sin from Adam, we're born into this condition. And on top of that, we've added to that with our own lawlessness, our own breaking of God's law. So I think we can all agree, hopefully, that we are, in fact, a people in need of saving. We are in need of saving. We are in in a desperate situation. And we talked a bit about how Christ comes as that ultimate Savior. But I want to continue in Genesis this uh, this morning for a little bit. So if you want to go to Genesis 6. Now, I've been struggling a bit to uh, decide exactly where... To spend our time, I know it goes so fast, but I think it's important to get a picture here of what are we saved from, What, what is it that we need saving from, and we may think, well we need saving from sin, okay, yes, well maybe we think we need saving from ourselves or from the devil, and while there's a sense in which those things are true, What we find in the story of Noah is we actually ultimately need saving from God himself. And this is a bit shocking for us, but I want to read this account, and then we'll uh, talk a little bit about it before our our time runs out here. So, Genesis 6, and we have a lot of, before this, we have a lot of uh, genealogies, which is just telling who who has who as a son, and how long they live, and and so on, and so we, we find in chapter six. So this is this is uh, probably about actually sixteen hundred years after Adam. Okay, so it's only six chapters in our Bible, but quite a long time has passed. Although the people in these days lived for much longer. Um, you see, Noah, we're told in verse thirty-two, was five hundred years old, and he had Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That's in five thirty-two. So in chapter six, verse one, let's read there. Now, when man began to multiply on the face of the land, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, and his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, which Nephilim um, many believe is a reference to giants we you know, already seen some acting as far as David and Goliath, who were giants. Still see some people today that are extremely tall. Uh, so the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, they were born children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of the man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, and creeping things, and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Three hundred cubits; its breadth fifty cubits; its height thirty cubits. Make a roof for the ark, and finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark in its in, in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives, with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He and all that God had commanded him. Then God, then the Lord told Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and its mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of the clean animals and of the animals that are not clean, of the birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two male and female went into the ark with Noah. As God had commanded Noah, after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month of the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day Noah and his sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and three wives The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry ground, in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals, creeping things, birds of heaven, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth one hundred and fifty days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, the rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days the water has abated. And in the seventh month of the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountain of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. I'm going to jump down to verse 20 of chapter 8. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of heaven, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all fish of the sea. Into your hands they are delivered. And then we know that God also, in verse 12... When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So I know that's a a longer reading there, but um, it's good for us sometimes to read those accounts because maybe you're familiar with kind of the general idea of the story but uh, there's certain things that we miss if we don't just sometimes stop and read the story. So this is a, uh, a shocking story in many ways. And I'm sure you've all seen the, um, the cute little children's book that have the smiling Noah with the nice animals, and it's like, yay, we're having so much fun on the, the fun little zoo boat, you know, and, and it's kind of presented as this cute story. When in reality, it is actually quite horrific. And it's quite shocking to us when we consider what God is saying. And so the story is really a story of God's judgment upon the earth, but also we see in the midst of the judgment, God's plan of salvation, God's grace. And and so that's kind of the, the three points I want to just mention quickly, is first of all, we do see God's Pain as he considers the state of the world. Now, like I said, about probably from Adam to Noah is about 1600 years. So it's a long time, but they're living also a long time. And, and you know, people look at the beginning of um, chapter 6 like, what in the world is going on there? Is this angels that are having children with, with uh, the, the women of man? That's some people's interpretation. I think the point is simply to help us understand that, that the world had become so perverse. Sexual immorality was rampant. That man were told the summary of, of the situation is that man's heart was evil continually. So there just was this overwhelming sense of violence and evil in the earth. Everything that God had made was becoming undone by man's rebellion against him. And and this pains God. He he is a holy God, he is a God who delights. In, in order, and He designed us. Remember to be holy and happy. So, as He looks upon humanity, literally destroying themselves and and, and, and destroying the creation in which they were supposed to be tending, then God says, "I am going to execute judgment." Um, I'm sure you've at times been working on a computer or maybe a phone, and all of a sudden it starts glitching out, like it's not working, things aren't opening properly, or it freezes. What do you generally do? What's the first thing you try when when electronic glitches out on you? turn it on, yeah, exactly, shut it down, turn it back on. You reset it, right? And and oftentimes that will fix the problem for whatever reason, the little computer in there needs to reset. Well, in a sense, God is looking at this world that's glitching out, and he says, I'm going to hit a reset button. I'm going to decreate what I've created. But, the good news is, is that in the midst of that, we find God also makes a plan for deliverance, for the, pers- the, the preservation, rather, of the human race. At that point, God certainly could have, and, and, and no doubt um, you know, probably uh, was, was uh, wanting to in many ways as we see him grieving over the situation, he could have completely annihilated humanity altogether. Just, I'm done with this, I'm just going to remove all of these humans from the earth, and, and maybe you will just, you know, spend time with the angels or something, right? But God, we're told, uh, also has a plan in the midst of this judgment. We're told that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this word favor, as I'm sure many of you know, can also be understood as grace. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And uh, does anyone know from the book there, what is grace? Uh, this little acronym that I find helpful so like a question. So, one hand, grace. Did you want to okay, I'll go over here. Grace is. God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay, good job. I'm okay with reading There you go. So, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And you may wonder, well, how is it that Noah benefits from the the, the work of Christ? You see, in the Old Testament, what we begin to see is, is, even as we talked about the, the covenant of grace, that God purposes, even in the beginning, even before the foundations of the earth, actually, to rescue a people out of humanity for his son. And What we find is in the midst of all of the brokenness and the chaos and the sin, there is a remnant. There are those whom God has set his grace upon so that they might glorify him. They may be a people set apart for himself. And this particular man, we're told, is Noah. He finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. It isn't that Noah um, was without sin, but God's spirit had graciously worked in this man's life. And we find even in Hebrews 11, he's described as a man of faith. So, so by God's grace, the, the grace that Christ would purchase later, Noah was already looking to God, looking forward to, even though he couldn't fully understand the coming of Christ, he believed the promise that there would one day be a serpent crusher from God who would deliver humanity, and he believed this. And so God comes to him and gives him the plan to build the ark of salvation. And this, we can just imagine, um, must have been shocking for him. I'm sure he had doubts at times. I mean, probably at this point, many, many speculate that they had probably not really even seen rain. Uh, it, it seems in the beginning God watered through the, through the dew and, and from a mist coming up from the ground. Um, and also, Noah took about 120 years to build the ark that God instructed him. And yet, he believed God, and as a result, he was saved from the coming judgment that God himself was bringing. In fact, in Hebrews, we're told that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Just imagine the neighbors, right? This guy building this massive boat to, to do what? You're saying there's going to be this huge rain that comes upon the earth and floods everything? Like, this guy's crazy. He's out of his mind. He's been working on this boat for a hundred years and he's still talking about judgment that's coming. God graciously sets forward a plan to deliver humanity from the coming judgment. And so Noah receives grace from God. And what we begin to find is Noah actually is a type. Now remember in, uh, in the garden, there was this promise of the serpent crushing king who would come. And so as you're reading through the Old Testament, there's always this question. Whenever you see somebody who fears the Lord, who obeys the Lord, there's always this question. Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the guy. Maybe he's the serpent crusher. And we may look at Noah and say, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is how humanity is taken back to a pre-false state and how humanity is, is rescued and delivered. Could Noah be the one to finally end the tyranny of sin and, and the devil? Well, we find in the story as it goes on, we don't have time this morning, but as it goes on, uh, Noah also ends up ashamed in a garden naked naked. And obviously not the final answer to humanity's problem. And sin from his children also begins to increase upon the earth. And yet God establishes this wonderful covenant with Noah that he will never again destroy the earth in this same way. That he will never again flood the entire planet and wipe out all living creatures. And the rainbow is the covenant sign. Now, there's something interesting about covenants. So we know what a covenant is, agreement between two or more people. When God establishes a covenant, there's often covenant signs which are to remind us of what he has promised. And so the rainbow is this covenant sign. And even as we look at the rainbow, there should be a sense in which we are grateful for God's mercy and for his grace that he's shown. But there's also a reminder in the rainbow that God is a God who will judge the wicked. And what we begin to find in the New Testament, as the question is continually asked, who is this serpent crusher? We read, for example, in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time came... Galatians 4.4, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, that he might redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And Jesus himself, being the one to whom all of history is pointing in Matthew 24, I just want to read a few verses for you from Matthew twenty four. Because this story of Noah actually becomes a picture of the end of all things. Well it's true that God said he will never destroy the earth again in water, there is coming a day like Noah when God will judge, and there will be only one source of refuge, one ark by which we can escape. Now uh, listen to Matthew twenty four thirty-seven. And I already know um, what time is our Five okay. All right, I'll do my best. So um, in Matthew twenty four thirty seven, listen to what Jesus says. But as in the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus is saying... The whole scene with Noah actually was a small picture of what is coming upon the earth in one final act of judgment when the Son of Man returns. So Jesus came as the serpent crusher. He lived a perfect life under the law. He went to the cross and died to pay the debt that we could not pay. He was raised in victory, proving his payment was sufficient and he returned to the Father after being with the disciples for uh, 40 days on the earth, ascends to heaven, where Christ is now reigning, and he says, one day I'm coming back to the earth, and when I return, it will be like in the days of Noah. There will be a great destruction of all life and all creation, but not a destruction unto annihilation, but the actual recreation of everything. And um, one more New Testament writer, because I think um, you begin to see how the, the, the account of Noah helps us understand what we need saving from as well. So listen to Peter in 2 Peter 3. Um, now, this is interesting because even in their day, they were already having people say, well, come on, you, you Christians, like you talk about the end of the world, you talk about judgment. Well, where is it? Where is it? I don't think he's actually coming back for you guys. I think, I think this is all a scam. Listen to what Peter says uh, about this very issue. Um, he says in uh, chapter 3, 2 Peter 3, 2, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this one fact, Peter says, that the heavens existed long ago and earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So he's talking about the flood. And he's, he's addressing people who are saying this day is not coming. God's not going to actually do anything. He goes on in verse 7 and says, But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, Peter says, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on them will be exposed." And he says then in verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So the story of Noah... Reminds us that God certainly will judge. He is also patient and gives a way of refuge, a way of escape, a way of salvation. In fact, Jesus compares himself to the ark. And you know, on the side of the ark, there was how many doors? Does anyone know? How many doors? There was one door to get into the ark. And Jesus says, I am the door. And for you to escape the judgment that is coming upon this earth, not by water, but by fire, you must flee to Christ and in him find refuge, for the day will come like a thief in the night. And those who have fled to Christ for refuge will be brought into a new heavens a new earth where righteousness dwells. And so the invitation is open to you all. Flee to Christ. Enter the ark that God has made uh, provision for us to be saved. Let's pray, and then we'll go in a few minutes. Father, we thank you for once again your word. Lord, I thank you for um, for just how you have preserved it over these thousands of years that we can read the accounts of Noah. And I pray that you would give us um, faith to believe these things, that we wouldn't brush it off as the scoffers that Peter described who just... uh, think this is all some sort of myth, just made up, it's not something to actually worry about, but Lord, you would help us to, to believe these things and to truly flee to Christ who is the ark of our salvation, the one whom you have sent, that we might be delivered. And I pray that you help us to carry this message also to the nations around us. And we praise you that you are holy and just, you are a faithful judge, and yet you are also gracious, having uh, Lord poured out upon us your riches and, and your forgiveness at Christ's expense. And so I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. But you, oh all shield about me. My glory